This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Won't you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to read from verses 24 to 27. Now, I have to do this thing again, and I hate doing this. I have to break this into two weeks. Um, And I hate doing it because usually what I find happens is we get into something and we get a momentum and we get a direction and we kind of set everything up and then we have to take a commercial break for a week. And then we come back and then people are usually like, what were we talking about again? And so then you have to try and finish it and people were like, what what does he say? So I'm going to try and straddle this, but really what I want to do today is I'm going to set things up, but we're going to wrap it up next week and get everything sorted out. So this is a two-week number. Matthew chapter 7 Verses 24 says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it didn't fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and doesn't do do them will be like a foolish man. Say, I'm not foolish who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. I want you to, before we get into anything, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, don't tell anyone. But I'm actually Gavin's favorite. They heard it out of your mouth, okay. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm really doing a good job if I don't get a little bit close to home on some things. And so I'm going to get close to home on some things this week and next week because what I really want to do is every time you meet Jesus, you should never be the same. If you met Jesus and you stayed the same, you didn't meet him. We may have had an idea about him, a thought, but you didn't meet him. People who encountered Jesus were changed and transformed. And so when we come into the space, we have to let him into some places. Is that okay? Okay, so if you've got anything to say about it, you take it and you and Jesus go and have a good conversation. Okay. Um, where do we want to go with this? Okay, so the last few weeks we've been talking about identity development. Who am I? I hate the term identity development. A better way of saying it is this, who am I? And how do I come into existence? Was it that I was purely born the way that I am? Or am I really a product of, of stimulus and inputs over time? And what we spoke about that was the fact that where we are and the way that God created us, God created us to discover who we are from a source. He was to be our source. And in that place, as we communed with him, as we spent time with him, as we interacted with him, as we built meaningful relationship with him, what happened was he took who he was and imaged who he was to us. And in that, we discovered who we were. It was not until the fall where something terrible happened and we lost access to image. 
And all of a sudden, I never had access to the image of God to discover who I was. And Adam and Eve and man from that point on was left with only one option. I would discover who I was from the reality that I lived. Everywhere that I went, it was going to mirror back to me something. And every encounter that I had, every situation that I had, every relationship that I had, and on an ongoing basis, what would end up happening was there was a source and a stimulus, something that was being fed into me. And I was being uh, peppered with ideas. And I took these things and I began to consider them. Ideas are powerful. Ideas can change the world. Ideas will establish your foundation. In all of my interactions with different things, I'm being peppered with regularity with ideas, thoughts. Are you this? Are you that? Can you accomplish this? Are you perhaps that kind of person? I'm getting all of the stimulus. I'm getting these ideas all the time. And they're alive. They're powerful. Colossians chapter 3, uh, at, at 1 verse 3, says, Seek those things which are above. You know what it's saying? Ideas are important. Don't go to your reality to discover who you are because it'll lead you up the garden path. What it's saying is the invitation is to go to him. Seek those things which are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. We want ideas from him. We want ideas from God that begin to define who I am and what I'm all about. And it carries on and it says, not only seek those things which are above, but it says, spend your time on things which are above. Spend your thinking on things which are from above. What it's saying is, those who meditate on my word day or night and endeavor to do all that is written therein, those are they who will make their way prosperous and they will have great success. What is he saying? I understand the value of ideas and ideas are so important because ideas become the material that is feeding you with regularity and offering you the opportunity to find identity, to find out who I am. When you recognize the significance and the value of ideas, my invitation to you is to close yourself off from your reality so you're not a conformer, but you become a person who seeks ideas from God, from Christ who's, who's alive on the inside of you. You allow Christ's ideas to begin to give definition to who I am. I begin to think about those things. It becomes so important for me to begin to consider the things that he gives me. Why? Because when I take those things and I meditate on them, what I'm doing is I'm incubating seeds. Seeds of potential. Seeds that are going to give life when they finally begin to manifest themselves. It's the parable of the sower. How do you create good soil in your life? Meditate on the word day and night. Consider the word. Incubate the word. You know what happens when I incubate God ideas? You know what happens when I incubate any ideas, God ideas or other ideas? What I'm doing is I'm taking a place where I'm kind of sitting over it and I'm preparing myself for it and I'm 
I'm taking good care of it. And when more I can begin to consider it, what I do is I begin to develop and build a nest in my, inside of myself to accommodate that idea. I'm building something that allows the life that is inside of that idea to germinate and begin to grow. And the reason that it begins to grow is because I spend so much time considering it that I've created an environment that is fertile to its development. Good or bad, the principle remains the same. What I think about becomes so important because I'm pre preparing a space for ideas to begin to grow inside of my life. As ideas begin to grow, they give birth to something called beliefs. The moment that idea germinates, it's just become a belief. And when it becomes a belief, what I'm saying to it is, I'm creating a special place in my life, and I'm putting a place in the foundation which is exclusively reserved for you, and here you go. And the problem with it is, or the power of that idea is this, it begins to define who I am. I begin to look at myself from that perspective. And the irony is, as I discover myself in that context, everywhere I go, I seem to see a validation of that. Not only does it give definition to who I am, but it also begins to color the way that I see my world. Do you see yourself as a conqueror? Do you see yourself as an overcomer? Or do you see yourself as a victim? How do you see yourself today? The way you see yourself is a function of what's taken and seeded on the inside of you. It's what constitutes and what's established the foundation of your life. That's where we've been. So I'm going to use that as a springboard to get into where we're going today. And I'm going to start this, and it's in two parts, as I said. And what I've called it is, help, I've discovered I'm a cannibal. <laughs> help, I've discovered I'm a cannibal. I used to play golf when I was younger because I had time. I don't have time right now. I don't have time to kind of like carve out five hours in a day to go and play around a golf. But the thing about golf is everybody loves to be in the fairway. You like it when you tee off and you're in the fairway. Things are going well. That's how we like to live our lives. We like to live our lives on the fairway. Everything's good. Everything's rosy. I know where I came from. I know how I got here. I know where I'm going. I see the flag. Things are good. Things are wonderful. The problem with it is we don't always get to live on the fairway. The challenge with it is there are times in our life when we tee off and we find ourselves off in the rough. Down in the woods. In the weeds. In the sand trap, in the water trap. If you find yourself there today, I want to talk to you. We've been talking a lot about the principles of God and what it is that he wants to do and what it is that he wants to introduce us to and why who we are in the way that we discover ourselves is so important to him. And we viewed a lot of that from his perspective, from the perspective of the fairway. 
So today, I want to move off from the fairway, and I want to start to move a little bit closer into the weeds. I'm going to get into the weeds because I want to look at life from the perspective of the weeds. I want us to understand that God is going to meet you no matter where you are. And sometimes we think that we're just so happy when everything's on the fairway and life is going well. But we, ro- we really don't make terribly many discoveries there. Where we make discoveries is, is when we find ourselves off in the weeds, when things aren't going as well as we imagined that they should. And you know what the funny thing is? We think it's dreadful and God says count it all joy. We can't believe our misfortune. And God says, actually, you're there for a fabulous reason. You're there for discovery. And if you will give me the opportunity, what will happen is I will take you out of the grass. I will take you out of the sand trap. I'll take you out of the weeds and I'll put you back on the fairway in a way that you won't end up back in the weeds again. The problem with it is this. If you find yourself with regularity teeing off and you're off in the woods, I would suggest to you that there is something wrong with my foundation. Everybody makes a mistake. But if you look back on your life, do you have recurring issues? Do you have patterns in your life where suddenly things seem to go really well and then all of a sudden I find myself, I'm back in the weeds again. And every time I seem to tee off, I slice it and I end up in the weeds. It's the same pattern. What it's saying is there's something faulty in my foundation. If I can fix the foundation, if I can correct the foundation, then things will begin to change and move in my life. We don't want to live in the weeds. So I'm going into the weeds today, okay? And we're going to kind of play around in the weeds a little bit, and we're going to get to that. And if we seem to spend too much time in the weeds today, it's because I can tell you now next week we're coming out of the weeds back into the fairway, okay? But I want you to understand that I've been in the weeds too, and many times I still find myself there. And so I want us to be able to find context for where we are so that we have an understanding as to where we're going. What is it that you want from life? If, you, if I said to you, give me a word, I suspect that probably what you would find the most common word people would use is the word fulfillment. I want to be fulfilled. Fulfilled. Fulfilled is an interesting word. What fulfilled means is to fill up to the point of completion. I want to be filled up to the point of completion. Life is not a single entity. It's compartmentalized. You have different facets, different interests, different areas that we get involved in. And what fulfillment says is in each area of your life, I'm looking to be filled up to the point of completion. If that's the goal that I'm trying to get to, if I'm trying to get to that space, I'll tell you why I think it's so fabulous. Because when you reach the point of fulfillment, what you're really reaching is you're reaching the place of completion. And when I live from completion, I live from a space where I am peaceful in myself. I'm happy in myself. I find a sense of joy and exuberance in living life. 
And when I live from that space, what ends up happening is I find myself at a place where the dependence that I have on my environment doesn't exist anymore. I don't need for you to feed me. I don't need for you to give me anything. I have such a sense of completion in myself that I can enjoy my reality for what it is. In actual fact, it becomes more dynamic than that. And if I really find myself at a place of living from completion where my cup overfloweth, I find that I'm introduced to the opportunity not to, not, not to just enjoy my reality, but to create my reality. I have something inside of me that I can use, that I can, materials that I can take, and I can invest it into my world to bring about change and transformation. Fulfillment is something that I'm pursuing. Pursuing uh, fulfillment is valuable. Build your house on the rock. Build your house on the rock. Six little words. We've heard it so often that it's so easy just to kind of wander straight by that. Build your house on the rock. Blah, 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 blah. You know why? Because perhaps we don't always recognize the value of what it's inviting us into. You see, when you finish school and you get a letter in the mail and it says, this letter is just to advise you that you've been accepted into college. You've been accepted is a huge deal to you. It's a big deal. If you go and tell other people about, I've been accepted, they'll be, that's nice, whatever, sure, whatever. But it's big to you. Why? Because I've been accepted and I know where I've been and all the work that I've put in and everything that I've done to get to this point has opened up an opportunity for me to step from where I was into something new, into something that's going to offer me the invitation to step into a higher dimension and a new reality to my life. It means something to me, but it's inconsequential to most other people. If you're somebody who's been falsely accused and you find yourself incarcerated and suddenly somebody makes a discovery and they sit and say to you, you're free. It means the world to you because it's about a life transformation. It's about a change. It's about moving from where I was in one dimension into something completely different. But if you were to say to somebody else, you know what, you're free, they'd be like, that's nice, whatever. Why? Because it doesn't have relevance. It doesn't resonate with me at that point, at that juncture in my life. What I'm telling you is this. If you find yourself in the weeds today, if you find yourself that with regularity you're slicing and you're off in the bunkers somewhere, he says to you, build your house on the rock. What he's saying is, I'm extending an invitation to you to embrace what I'm offering you because it'll change the foundation of your life. It'll change the fundamental parts of who you are and you won't find yourself slicing once again. Build your house on the rock. It's incredibly powerful. It is a life changer. He says something in there and we, there's so much to unpack in those few words. Build your house on the rock. You do understand that what he's saying is, here's the invitation, there's the responsibility. He's saying, I'm, I, I, I will give you what you need to build it. What do you want? 
Do you want to build it on the rock? Because he goes on from that point and he says, you don't have to build it on the rock. There are plenty of people who are going to build it with other material. What do you want? What do you want? You see, if you can identify what you want, you can set the course and the path of where you want to go. Build your life on the rock. If you will hear these words of mine and do them, what is he talking about? He's saying the words that I'm giving you, he's not talking about logos. He's talking about rhema. He's saying if you live in the context of intimate relationship with me and you can hear my voice, the words that you will get from me if you hear my words and do them. Do you know what I believe he's saying? He's sitting saying, seek those things which are above. If you hear my words, what I'm doing is I'm using impartation to take the things of me, the ideas of what I have, and I'm using those to impart it to you. And if I'm offering you that, what I'm sitting saying to you is I'm giving you material to build your foundation. Consider it and do these things. You cannot do the things of God. What can I do? I have the ability to be able to meditate on his word day and night. What am I doing? I'm incubating what God's given me. I'm holding on to what God's given me. I'm putting that into a sacred place and I'm looking after it. I'm making sure that I nurture it and I take care of it. I make sure that I'm building a nest and I'm building an opportunity in my life for the seed that he gives me to be able to germinate and create on the inside of me an addition to my foundation, something that can be built into who I am. The rock. Where else did he talk about a rock? Do you remember he spoke, about Pete, he spoke to Peter about being a rock? Who do people say that I am? And Simon turns around and says to him, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What did he say to him? First word out of his mouth. Blessed. Blessed. Are you Simon? Do you know what the word blessed means in the original Greek? It's makarius. It means to enlarge. It means to fill, to completion. Do you know what he was saying to Peter? He was saying, you have just discovered what it is to live a life of fulfillment. You've just opened the door to realize what it is to walk into the place where you will be expanded and you will be filled up and you will be completed because of what you have received from me. Flesh and blood never revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. What is he saying? Stop living from your reality. Stop living from your world and what's going on around you. Stop living from what people have to say about you. Stop living from how you, listen, this is a big one in the world we live in. Feel. Because I feel it, it doesn't mean that it's true. What's happening? He's saying to him, you're in a fabulous place. Well done, Simon, son of Jonah. I'm going to change your name from Simon to Peter, the rock. Why? Because you've just moved into a place where you've opened the door to step into a whole new dimension of living. Who 
I am and the foundation of who I am is going to be designed and is going to be built from God material, not my environment material, not my reality material. It's going to be built from him. And when I do that, what happens is it introduces me to blessing, to being filled up, to being completed, to being fulfilled. We were designed to be spiritual beings. You were designed to be supernatural in your definition. God was to take who he was and to impart that to you so you would discover who you were from relationship with him. So, when I was younger, actually, when I was about 300 years ago, when I was really young, I think I was probably about seven or eight. And I remember a time in my life where I was living a very dramatic reality. My mom and dad had been going through terrible times in their marriage. And I can remember coming home one day and when I came in, my dad was gone. They decided to separate. And when you're seven or eight, you don't understand the complexities of what's going on. There's just a reality that you live. And it informs you not necessarily as a result of what you understand, but more as a result of what you feel. I can remember that evening sitting with my mom and Angela and Sean on the bed and we were young and her telling us about the fact that my dad had moved out and we all sat there crying. It wasn't a moment, it was a period of time. But in that period of time, there was so much messaging that happened. My reality was sharing ideas with me. You feel a sense of emptiness. And hollowness insecurity and you ascribe it to the loss of someone you loved and the idea presents itself to you that if you want to be happy do whatever you can to hold on to the people you love 
Because when they leave, there's so much pain. That's not true. But when you're seven, you don't know that. And you learn that. And it was a funny thing because it kind of played itself out over a period of time when I was back at school. I, couldn't, I hated being dropped off at school because I could remember if, if I was dropped off by my dad and he left, I was like, I don't know if he's coming back. I know it doesn't make sense. But you know what? So many of the ideas you've bought probably don't make sense either. Why did you buy them? Because they resonated with you. They were affirmed through your emotions. And your understanding jumped on the bandwagon and said, that's right. And as I began to take the ideas and think about the ideas, what ended up happening was I was meditating on the seed of an idea that was toxic. And I let it take root in my life and form a belief. And I lived from that place. And so I find myself in places where I would be in relationships and I would indulge all kinds of stuff because I couldn't bear to lose the person. Because if the person walked out, would I go back to that reality? Would I go back to feeling all of that pain and that emptiness? The ideas you buy will define your life. They will characterize your foundation and they may continually put you in the weeds until you get something sorted out with them. I came to realize something. You see, because I bought the idea, what I really did was I gave access to my life to a whole bunch of squatters. You see, God created us. And when he created us, he made a space within each of our lives that is exclusively reserved for him. It's called the foundation of your life. It's your heart. I'm not talking about your spirit now. I'm talking about your identity and who you are. The foundation and the bedrock to our life was defined, or was designed exclusively to house him. And the problem with it is, when we don't allow him into those spaces, or he hasn't filled those places, what ends up happening is, it becomes available to squatters. Do you know what a squatter is? A squatter is a person who illegally occupies a place that's uninhabited. Sometimes our life is characterized by ideas that illegally occupy a space that's uninhabited. We haven't got to the place where we allowed Christ and who he was to give definition to that space. So what we did is we went and allowed our reality to give definition to it. And we opened the doors of hospitality 
చూసుకోవటం హౌ మచ్ యువర్ లైఫ్ ఇస్ అ స్క్వాటర్ క్యాంప్ ఇట్స్ నాట్ క్రిటిసిజం బికాస్ వీ ఆల్ హ్యావ్ ఇట్ టు వేరింగ్ డిగ్రీస్ యూ నాట్ ద ఫనీ థింగ్ వాజ్ డూ యూ నో దట్ వెన్ జీజస్ వాజ్ గన్ బి బోర్న్ Mary and Joseph found themselves at a place where they went down to Bethlehem and they got to Bethlehem and they went left right up down the street that street everywhere everywhere they went and you know what the problem was there was no room and Jesus ended up being born in a stable in a manger I think the challenge for lots of us is that so much of our life is filled with squatters that we've allowed Jesus to come but he's born in the back in the manger I go and visit him once a week I go to church and we we go and do that stuff it's like you know he's here it's good but he's in the manger in the back I've never allowed him to come out of that space to begin to come into who I am and the fullness of what defines my foundation to begin to pull out in each section to sit and say who's living here you're an illegal you're a squatter the true resident is here to take up residence in this place and as long as we allow squatters to occupy places that should be his residence they have the right to define what that space looks like there is nothing good that comes from a squatter camp so cannibals you think cannibals just eat people but you're wrong <laughs> yes they do eat people but cannibals are very particular you didn't imagine that did you <laughs> actually you know why because cannibals do not eat people functionally i'm not eating you because i'm hungry I'm not eating you because I really like the taste of human flesh. A cannibal believes that if I see somebody that I really like and I see an attribute of who they are in their personality or their character, if they somebody that's admirable, if they somebody that's an achiever, if they somebody who's if I see somebody like that, that's the person that I want to eat. You know why? because cannibals don't eat for function they eat to feed their soul cannibals eat because if i eat you they believe what will happen is those things that characterize you those traits that give definition to who you are what you're all about if i can consume it it'll become a part of me they eat to feed the soul when we live from a place where we begin to recognize and sense the fact that i'm incomplete in myself and i'm not whole and i'm not fulfilled 
the natural inclination is to go to my reality and to try to find the fulfillment that I'm looking for in my reality. I've become a cannibal with my reality. I begin to consume the things that are in my reality in the belief that if I can take those things and I can allow those things to give definition to who I am, I will be able to take that stuff and make it a part of who I am. And it'll move me from a place of deficits to a place where I'll feel a sense of fulfillment and filling up and completion. I begin to live off of my reality. I consume from my reality. Cannibals are dangerous. Cannibals are dangerous. And I'll tell you why. Because cannibals have never come to the place that they've recognized that Christ is the answer to everything. That Christ is the only place where I can find fulfillment. That Christ is the only place where I can get the rock of my life established. That Christ is the one that has made provision for everything that I need. Everything that I'm looking for is in him. In him I live, in him I move, and in him I'm to have my being. And if I don't have that recognition, what happens is I go outside of myself and I go into my reality and I begin to consume from my reality. The problem with it is this. If you're feeding a cannibal, no matter how much you love them, no matter how much you care for them, no matter how much you invest in them, no matter what you do for them, it will never be enough. It will never be enough. Because what you have to offer is not what Christ has to offer. There is something so wonderful about coming to the place in our life where we recognize our need for Christ. It is so healthy. It is so good. And there's so much to be said for that because it'll change the focus and the direction of our life. But what I would suggest to you as well is this. It's equally as important to recognize that you're not Christ. Yes, it's important to recognize your need for him, but also recognize that you're not him. Because when you recognize that you're not Christ, you'll recognize the fact that I can't be your savior. Don't come and eat me. Because I can't fix you. I can't save you. I can't help you. There were places in my life that were created as a result of experiences that I've been through. And it took much cannibalism to bring me to the place where I recognized that I cannot use the tools that got me into the predicament to get me out of the predicament. You see, the tools I used that put me into that place was what I felt from my reality and what I thought about my reality. And when I moved to my reality and allowed those tools to come into operation, they took what was happening in my world. It was real. It was true. But it was my perspective of what was happening that was distorted. But what happened was my emotions moved into that place and they were affirmed through my thinking. And as a result of that, seeding took place that was toxic. 
That's why Christ says, it's no longer you who lives. What is he saying? He's saying, understand this, part of your dying is coming to the place where you recognize the fact that my emotions and my thinking are tools. They are not designed to define who I am. And if I elevate them to the place of letting them give definition to who I am, I've just moved them to a place where they are playing the role that Christ was supposed to play in my life. Just as emotions and thinking put me in that place, don't try and use those same tools to remedy someone. When somebody comes in and they hurt, and somebody comes in and they're struggling, you know what the challenge is? What is the first thing we want to do? I want to make you feel better. It's well motivated. It's good. And I'm not saying you don't, you don't support people. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is you need to understand the fact that if you truly want to help somebody, you get them to a place where you direct them back to Christ. Because what you have to offer them is emotion and thinking. That's what got them in that predicament in the first place. Now you think you're going to fix it because you're going to tell them, don't feel bad, feel good about yourself. How do you know they shouldn't feel bad? No, think about it. If I think that I'm a victim, are you one? I don't know. Are you? Who's to say you are or you not? If you were to interrogate that, if you want to believe it, are you one? You telling somebody that they're not a victim doesn't carry any credibility. You think because you tell them that, they're going to be like, my world has just changed. <laughs> what an epiphany! You know what happens? Thank you for stroking me. Thank you for making me feel better. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But you know what happens? It's not terribly long before you have to tee off again. And the funny thing is you find yourself back out in the weeds. Why? Because you made me feel and you propped me up for a period of time. But you're not my savior. And until I come to that place where I sit and say, you know what, there is a deficit on the inside of me. And the only one who can fix that, the only one who can heal that is Christ. That's why he says, unless you're born of the water and born of the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is he saying? You can't fix it with your logic. You can't fix it with your wisdom. You can't fix it with your understanding. You can't fix it with emotional stroking. The only way that you're going to change and the only way that you're going to become a true expression of Christ in you is it has to be born in you. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. You're a supernatural creature. You're a supernatural creature. Recognize it. What I mean by that is this. If you find yourself out in the weeds, understand the only one who can change me is the Holy Spirit. Born of the water, born of the words of God, and born of the Spirit. He's going to do something in your life, something in your foundation that you're not capable of doing. He's going to bring about change and transformation, and you can't do that. I hate it when I see young people with babies. Because you begin to realize the responsibility that goes with raising a life. And all too often, 
Yes, it's a mistake and people make mistakes. This is not about that. I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you about the ideal. The problem with it is what we model for our kids creates their reality. And all too often, the problem with it is when we grow up young and we don't have sufficient spiritual input in our lives, we end up with so many areas of our life that are empty. And we end up as just a walking squatter camp. I'm tired of parents who sit and say, you know what, I'll die for my kids. Honestly, dying sometimes is a whole lot easier than living for your kids. Oh, I'll die for them. But I don't care about how it behaves. I don't care about what the environment looks like. I don't care about the home life. I don't care about anything else. But I'll die for them. I won't live for them. We have a responsibility in some of these things because they're bigger pictures at play. The other side to that coin is this. You're not perfect. It's okay. Because you know what? God has built something into the whole mechanism and the whole economy, something called grace. And grace is about the fact that, you know what? You don't have to be perfect. Because when your kids get older and they come to the place of understanding and maturity, there is an invitation that is extended to them where Christ says, I've done everything, everything, if you'll just come to the Holy Spirit and you'll dialogue with him. He will introduce you to words that carry weight. Words that are credible, credible, not because they come from somebody else, but because they come from the maker. They come from him. And he can do something in your life and birth something in your life that you won't get anywhere else. You want to know why Sozo is powerful? I'll tell you why. Because it has nothing to do with counseling. When you go into Sozo, there's no one who's going to sit there and tell you, well, this is what I think and what do you feel about yourself? And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's not where your answer is going to be found. Stop looking in your reality. Sozo is powerful because when you move into Sozo, you're playing with the supernatural. When you move into Sozo, you move into a place where you sit and say, Father, There's some stuff here, and the stuff needs some attention, and the stuff needs to be looked at, and I can't fix it, but I'm tired of living in the weeds. I'm tired of, with regularity, finding myself out in the bunkers somewhere. I'm looking for you to heal me. I know it's a work that only you can do. Sozo will introduce you to a meaningful conversation with a God who loves you. Sozo will introduce you to a God who's able to do something in your life that you won't find anywhere else. I'm not saying Sozo is the answer. Christ is the answer. The point that I'm making is this. Many people don't know how to go to him. We struggle with that. It's a tool to help you do that. You know how to get to God? That's the best place to go. Live from that reality. Live from that space. I finished early. What I want to do is this. Can we please all stand? There are some things I can't pray for. I, I, can't, 
I can't ask God to build your foundation, okay? He's given that responsibility to you. He says to you, build your house on the rock. I, I can't just magically ask things to happen, supernaturally ask things to happen. But if you're ready to partner with God, and if you're at a place where you sit and say, you know what, I'm tired of being in the weeds, and I want to meet with you, Holy Spirit, and I want you to touch me. And in that space, I want to hear your voice, and I'm looking for transformation and change. I want you to come up at the end of the service, and there'll be people here who can pray with you. If there are things that are more deep-seated, and stuff that it's like, you know, I, I want more meaningful time to dialogue with God about this stuff. And I'm struggling to do it in myself. Get hold of Sally. Wave your hand, Sally. Look at this pretty face. Get hold of Sally and say, I want to make a time to come in because I, I, I've, got, I've got some squatters that I don't want to hear anymore. I want to clear my house of squatters. your arms out. Close your eyes. Holy Spirit. You're so gentle. So loving. I thank you, Father, for your love for every person here. And Holy Spirit. invite you to invade lives right now. I pray, Holy Spirit, 
you'll just flood people's hearts with your love right now. Let them know how much you love them. Let them experience, Holy Spirit, a powerful, loving touch. It comes in and dismantles those parts of our lives that for so long have kept us bound. And in the weeds, Open people's eyes, Holy Spirit. Let them see those things that are trying to define them that are not of you. And I thank you, Jesus, for the Christ, the Anointed One, the Author, the Finisher, King of kings and the Lord of lords. I thank you for Christ the champion with all authority and power. Let Christ come in and dwell in us. Move into those spaces, Holy Spirit. And birth life. In Jesus' name.